Welcome in to 2 for one Drafts, the Wednesday edition of PFF's 2 for one Drafts podcast, a rookies and draft prospects podcast. I'm Austin Gale with Mike Renner, and we have a freaking awesome episode today. Going freaking, over the really? freaking the Bruce Feldman's 2020 Freaks List. This guy's been doing it for 15 years. We actually brought him on the podcast. We're going to jump right into that interview right now just to tease it a bit. This guy goes over some of the freakiest freaks he's gone over over the past 15 years, talks specifically about Quiddy Pay and just how wild the number one player, the Michigan Edge defender, is on this list. I think, Mike, I, I don't really want to talk much. Let's just jump into this interview. What's your take there? Yeah, let's kick it to Bruce of The Athletic. He does uh, this list, I'll just say. I go back to it a lot during the, like I memor I try to memorize these numbers because these are the best like nuggets you'll get about these prospects pretty much all season long. Like I'll even, I'll reference these in the draft guide all the way next spring. I'll be t- bringing up some of these numbers because I think it's very valuable uh, piece of information that all you really have besides this, besides these sort of stories is like the combine to hear about how these guys test athletically. So I do think it's a valuable article that pretty much if you are a draft college football fan at all, it's, it's a must read. It's super valuable, and the sources are thorough as hell. This guy builds it out for like three months. Like he spends three months texting, DMing, calling these different coaches. And even this past offseason with all you know, COVID impacting things, he still was able to get it done. Really impressive stuff from Bruce. With that being said, let's go ahead and jump to the interview. Joining the 241 Drafts podcast is none other than the Athletics' Bruce Feldman, the guy behind the 2020 Freaks List and Freaks List of past. Everyone loves this thing, dude. People are tweeting, it's Christmas morning, annual read, must read. I'm a huge fan as well. Bruce, it's great to have you on the pod to talk about this. Thanks for having me, guys. I really, uh, really appreciate it. Of course, man. Well, I, I, let's start with this, kind of the inception of the Freaks List. When did you first start you know, first think that you could put something like this together, because I'm sure it takes a long time to talk to all these coaches, probably talking to a lot of players as well. When did you first think you could put something like this together? And when, um, what gave you the idea for it? You know, I, I was back at ESPN Magazine. I was based in New York, New York City at the time. And it was something I would, I kind of kicked around in my head. And it's just like, okay, how would you get some of this information back then? And we're talking, this is like, I want to say like 2003, 2004. And it, you know, you just didn't know how receptive people would be. I was still pretty plugged in in terms of college football. I wouldn't say I was as entrenched in it as I am now. But so I, you know, would talk to people, talk to coaches, talk to to some scouts, but it was mostly from coaches. And it kind of grew the first couple of years. And then I think by maybe the third year, it started to get some traction where people were like, they were people inside college athletics were noticing it and then it really grew from there i didn't really realize the fan part of it where it really started to really have a connection with with fan bases and everything else i think that grew after about the fifth year of it now i've been doing it for over 15 years now now this year was the most challenging because there really wasn't much of an off season. So you didn't have i i'm relying a lot on strength coaches who i've gotten to know over the years and they're getting doing off-season testing, whether it's vertical jump, bench press, you name it, all those all sorts of things. But if those training programs and those testing days didn't happen, it's harder to really put a real gauge where somebody go, yeah, this guy is, is these dimensions and I think he's really athletic, but you need some kind of qualifiers for that. And so I leaned on a lot of NFL scouts over the years, especially in the last few years as as finding guys who are a little off the radar 
And then you can, I mean, I can't tell you how many guys I DM'd and texted with over the last like month to really try to drill down deeper to get information now. But uh, it's always fun to work on. I come away, feel like I learned a ton from it. And it's really cool to see the response that people have when you tweet it out and all of a sudden see the reaction of people within, with, not just around football, but within football. So the article dropped a couple days ago, but when do you start building this list? When does it start taking shape, the top 50? And is it kind of like a mini uh, Heisman campaign almost where you got guys and uh, people inside sporting uh, sports departments reaching out to you to try to get their guys on the list? Yeah, it, it usually starts two or three months in advance. And then my process kind of picks up steam over the last like maybe two or three weeks out just because it's kind of a bear to do. Now, one of the challenges that I have is, especially with this, which when I say this, I mean, with the pandemic and, and student athletes getting back to, to, to workouts is you're getting late information, right? So there's a couple of examples where I was waiting on, and it was two SEC schools where one uh, uh, NFL scout said, you really need to look at this one receiver because in high school, we heard he has really freaky numbers and we're not sure if he's that fast, but he's a big athletic guy. Um, and you just didn't get the information or there may be a guy that you think because of the numbers that he previously had. And then you talk to either his position coach or the strength coaching is like, yeah, I really, that's not a guy you're going to want. He's, he either didn't test as well or he's not quite as fast as people think he is or some of the numbers kind of vary. So then all of a sudden it's like, how are we shoehorning the numbers of like, okay, here's what I think of the top 30. And then this is a perfect example. Boye Mafi, who we did uh, some Minnesota games. He's an edge rusher. And I was waiting and waiting on Minnesota. I thought I had my top 25. And, and I knew from doing their games and talking to their some coaches that he was a guy that probably did fit in the top 15. But then when I heard from their strength coach what the numbers were, I mean, he vertical jumped 40 and a half inches at 260 pounds. That's four and a half inches higher than any D lineman at the combine. And some of his other numbers were crazy. I'm like, okay this guy's got to be around the top five. So you're kind of reshuffling everything. And mm -hmm. at some point I'm waiting on a picture of, of Michael Martinez's freakish hands. Uh, <laughs> and I'm trying to get that from the tight ends coach at UCLA. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird little process to get to the finish line. I definitely encourage everyone to go to the athletic and check out that article. If you're not a subscriber, go subscribe. It is worth the price of admission. I want to talk specifically about number one on the list, Michigan's Quiddy Pay. And he's a guy that we've had conversations about on the podcast in the past. I know his backstory a little bit coming from Rhode Island, played running back, I think in high school and put up pretty decent numbers as a running back and then packed on a ton of weight at Michigan. Talk more about the number one player on this year's freaks list and dive a little bit into his background. Yeah. So, I, you know, he was on my radar uh, uh, probably a year and a half ago. I did some Michigan story in the offseason, talked to Don Brown, the defense coordinator, who, as you mentioned, Quiddy Pays from Rhode Island. Don Brown's a New England guy. Uh, and so he really raved about him. But there were no numbers, at least I remember, from talking to Don Brown about it. And then as uh, I got into this process, I was talking to some NFL scouts, and one of them had said, you know, Quiddy Pay, we've heard, ran this has a second fastest three cone time on the entire Michigan team from this oh offseason. <laughs> and, you know, Michigan, it's like, they got some athletes now. Right. So it's, it's like second fastest on the team. And then, uh, 
I talked to some sources within the program and somebody had sent me back basically his workout sheet or from his testing results. And it was a six, three, seven, which is blazing fast. Even for a defensive back, it's blazing fast, much less for a 271 pound guy. And then you look, you know, his 40 time was four, five, seven. That's moving. He benched 30 reps uh, at two and a quarter. His shuttle time was a four, one, five. Um, really fast, really fast, uh, 60 yard shuttle. And so it, one of the coaches I know there said he has the best change of direction of anybody I've ever been around. And remember just a couple of years ago, they had Rashawn Gary in there who was a freak in his own right. So Quiddy pay is, is definitely, uh, there was a couple of guys I would say Boogie Basham is an even bigger guy in the ACC, another defensive lineman was another one I gave a lot of consideration to, but ultimately when I saw when I quitty pay was like, uh, I got to go with him just based on if you're that much faster than the fast guys, that's really saying something. And the one analogy I thought, because people can be skeptical of, of some kind of some time, some time. But I remember I worked on the recruiting book meat market a long time ago and I was around the old miss staff and I'm there in their war room, they would have their depth chart set up and it would be like height, weight, you know, the class they were in. And then it would list a 40 time. And Mike Wallace was on the, it was one of the receivers at the time. And his 40 time was like a four, two, eight on there or something, which was like crazy fast. I don't think anybody would have thought back then Mike Wallace was a four, two guy, but so you'd like kind of shrug your shoulders at it, but then you'd look at the rest of the board and Ole Miss had nobody else within like two tenths of a second of him. So it kind of showed you in perspective. And now, you know, when Mike Wallace went to the combine or when did his pro day, he was crazy fast. And so you kind of see it in the context. And I think that's why uh, it kind of holds up when it comes to, to quitty pay. Yeah. To put that six, three, seven, three cone in perspective, Darrell Rivas and Tyreek Hill, two of the freakiest change of direction athletes I've ever seen at the NFL level were in the six fives. And those were blazing times for a three cone. He's at six, three, seven. Is that, or is there any other number that comes to mind as a single freakiest measurement you can remember from someone on your freaks list over the you know past uh, couple decades? The one that stands out, because it's fresh in my mind, the Michael Martinez hand size. I mean, you guys are well-versed, obviously, in the combine. His hand, and this came up for a while. We did, we did a uh, uh, Oklahoma-UCLA game, and I remember you see Michael Martinez. He's a humongous tight end. 6'6", six, six, over 260 pounds, and his arms are so long that it looks like his hands can touch his, his uh, ankle bones, you know, without him bending. I mean, he's just crazy-looking athlete. But to have – Chip Kelly had DeForest Buckner, and DeForest Buckner's hands, along with Gazer Cherilis, the old BC lineman, I think are the biggest measured hands at the combine. And, and he says Michael Martinez's hands almost an inch bigger, bigger – than DeForest Buckner. I mean, that's insane his, how big his, this guy's hands are. So when they had sent me, uh, the, when the tight ends coach at UCLA got, asked Michael Martinez for a photo of his hand, he ended up taking a picture of his shoe with his hand next to his shoe. And I was like, well, this is interesting, but Michael Martinez has a size 19 shoe. So his hand is not going to seem, you know, like for the average person, it's like, yeah, that's a big hand. But in the context of no, the average person doesn't know what a size 19 shoe looks like either. So uh, that really kind of popped me because you have like, we've, we've, we've seen guys who have crazy vertical jumps or crazy broad jump or power cleans this or whatever. 
But to have a hand that is like almost a full inch bigger than like the biggest hand at the combine, that's kind of mind blowing. Like Giannis and Tanakumpo, basically. Yeah, or Boban or something. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Bruce. So we've talked about, you know, what the freakiest measurement you've kind of seen. Who, uh, you know, you've been doing this, like you said, for 15 years. What athlete comes to mind that you think is the freakiest of the bunch? You're going to have to do maybe at the 20th year anniversary, like the top freaks list of the two past decades or whatever. But I want to hear now who you think would be up there on that list. Clowney's explosiveness. I remember, so the strength coach who was at South Carolina at the time, Joe Connolly, he then went at one point he was at UMass when they had Andy, God, I'm blanking on Andy's name. He's with the Cardinals, super fast slot receiver. Andy Isabella. Thank you. So he had him who was a, you know, different kind of athlete, much smaller, but obviously freak athlete himself. And then uh, Connolly's at ASU. But the way he talked about how Clowney was so much more explosive than the next most explosive guy in terms of what they measured at Nintendo units uh, it wasn't like that's the kind of thing where you or I or anybody who's like even really into working out is going to know how that necessarily translates on your, unless you're a, a strength coach at a high level or one of those places with a lot of science behind it. But he talked about Clowney being so much more explosive than the next explosive guy. That stays in my head. Margus Hunt, uh, he was the number one guy on our freaks list. He was obviously a European uh, track star who went to SMU. And I just remember when Margus, who was like six, eight, when I got his numbers and talked to, uh, the coaches he worked with at SMU, people were like, there's no way these numbers are legit. And then a year later he went to the combine and he almost replicated them to the exactly. So, so, I mean, Margus Hunt, Clowney, Miles Garrett kind of all you know stand out to me and what they what they do in their in their uh in their level and then there were some other guys who like the freakiness i remembered uh you know penn state had a d lineman a few years ago who was like could hit a golf ball for like 400 yards and and was in the right you know all kinds of nutty stuff but was also really an explosive athlete so you get kind of some of those or owen schmidt could like power clean like a buick you know kind of stuff and just (laughs) just really random random things kind of like the michael martinez freakish hand size stuff or whatever i mean there's some of those kind of you know kind of stand out unto themselves is there a player from freaks list of years past that you, you just thought he's too freaky? How is he going to fail in the NFL? And then just didn't pan out in the league, just ended up being just didn't look like that same freakish athlete that you saw or that tested like that in college. Yeah. I mean, I always wondered what would Taylor Mays have been like as a bobsledder? Cause he was obviously <laughs> super, super explosive. And he at USC, I mean, I don't know how instinctive he was as a defensive back uh, as a safety, but there were some like, you know, he had some brutal hits on guys and it wasn't like he didn't make any plays, but it didn't really translate where you had a big freaky athlete who was really explosive, but just, you know, he didn't stay in the NFL for all that long. So he's the first one that comes to mind one. And there, there's a handful of those guys. Some guys are, are better athletes than they are football players. And, you know, like, yeah, Margus is probably that way. I mean, Margus blocked a lot of a lot of kicks, and he stayed in the NFL for a while. But when you look at his just workout numbers, you're like, this guy should be should be a dominant player, right? I mean, Miles Garrett's a 
dominant player. Vaughn Miller is obviously a dominant player. Uh, Calvin Johnson, who we had on early on in this thing, was obviously a dominant player. Adrian Peterson was a dominant player. But there's a handful of guys where you're like, it doesn't necessarily translate to be to be that. There was a player, it might have been the first year I did it, named Turnananda, who was a Mac linebacker who was super explosive. I don't know if he played a down in the NFL. I do not. I, I know there are. I, it's a deep cut. <laughs> I know there cut. are a ton of guys in the PFF offices that were like massive Marcus Hunt fans. Like thought he was going to be generational, and I, I agree that he hasn't panned out as his numbers would suggest. So I want to talk specifically about this list. Who you think is going to break out in 2020 from a production perspective? Mike and I went back and watched a ton of tape on the guys that you mentioned: Boye, Mafi, Ali McNeil, or two. That I was like, man, you turn mm-hmm. on the tape and you see it with these guys if they are given more opportunities or whatever it may be, who are some names or a name that you think is going to really break out from a production perspective? Well, and last year, Caleb Farley was the one that yeah. I saw on that list. And then he ended up having a monster 2019. So there, there always seems to be one. Yeah. And boy, Amafe would be the one because talking to the coaches there, they feel like he is going to break out and we'll see how, you know, Carter Coughlin's no longer there. We'll see how, uh, how he, how he translates and uh, goes from there. I mean, this is a, st- uh, maybe to a lesser degree. I'm curious what Racy McMath does at LSU. He's a great special teams player. I mean, on a team with a lot of freaky dudes, he's the top guy. I mean, he's almost 225 pounds. He runs in the high four threes. He is. He will make the NFL and might go to Pro Bowls as a special teams player. He was a good receiver last year, but with Justin Jefferson moving on, I think he's a guy they are really hoping and thinks he has a chance to have a really uh, big season maybe off the grid a little bit or a lot I guess, is, is a guy at central Arkansas that are included in here, Robert Rochelle. Uh, I mean, if he goes to the combine and does these numbers, he almost broad jumps 12 feet. Right. And he's a six, one corner He's six feet and seven eighths. And he was a track kid in, in Shreveport, Louisiana, who is really, really developed again. And to say, I don't know what the production is going to be like at central Arkansas. Hopefully they're going to have a season. Um, but right now it's like, that would be a guy, I think if you're really into the combine to keep an eye on him, uh, journey Brown is another one. He had a, he had a really solid year last year at Penn state, a deep backfield, but they have just, the coaches have just told me he has just grown and grown as his confidence has taken off that he could really, really have a big year. So, I mean, those are some of the ones that I think on the, on the front end of this thing of ones to, to keep an eye on, I think for, a guy who blew up last year at the combine, uh, Makai Becton, obviously, and went in the first round. There's another freaky lineman that they got from junior college who is not as big, but he's still 6'6", 320, Trevor Reed. And their strength coach thinks he could, by the time he leaves there, run in the high four eights, maybe uh, four nines. And he's people saw like him doing these crazy backflips coming out of the gate. And you can, you know, if anybody hasn't seen the Freaks article yet, go to it and you'll see this is a 320 pound guy looking like a gymnast and they have a real, he came from junior college. They have a lot of expectations about him and the O-line coach there um, has done a really, really good job of developing guys back at when he was at NC state and certainly did a really good job with Becton. So you kind of touched on it there talking about central Arkansas, if they have a season gun to your head right now, what do you think this college football season looks like? What do you think the playoff looks like? And when do you think, they're going to have the NFL draft. 
I think it varies so much. Like you're asking me now, we're taping this on what is it? I know. Wednesday. It could, it's changing so fast. Like right now I know one conference is meeting in like four hours with their coaches. And I don't, I think what you're going to see a lot of uh, conferences try to delay and delay and, and what's the best chance for us to try to have some semblance of a season, the hard part. And this is, has been told me by a lot of ADs and some coaches is if anybody tells you really with certainty what they think is going to happen, they're lying to you or they're lying to themselves because until the players go through actual football stuff and at the end of the week, the NCAA is cleared where they can at least do some walkthroughs. But right now we're seeing a handful of schools have some big testing numbers of guys testing positive and they haven't done football stuff yet. It's just been working out in small groups. And so I think the hard thing is going to be what happens when a, there are more students on campus. There is no bubble as much as you know, there is like in the NBA or you're talking still about college students and while coaches feel better about what they're like, what's going to be when they're around the facility, it's when they leave the facility. I think that concerns them. So I'm optimistic that maybe there'll be a start to a season, but I just don't know how far it's going to go just because it's so hard to predict with this virus and with the cases. Because for as much as people can say, well, they're young and they're going to be fine, even if they test positive, they're probably going to be asymptomatic you're still not going to be playing players who have, who are positive tests. Right. And so what happens with the contact, contact tracing where you may have a bunch of guys who are either quarantined or held out for a while. Um, and that's if things go well, I mean, the nightmare scenario is you have 130 F- FBS programs and a, let's say a hundred guys on average on a team. That's a lot of numbers. Uh, you know, that's to scale up. And if something really bad happens, hospitalizations, ICU, or God forbid worse, I don't know how they move forward with that, especially with so many other uh, leagues at different levels saying, we don't think it's safe for our players to play. Because remember, these aren't, these are college athletes. And while they may want to play, they're not professional athletes. And I think that's, you know, that's a tough proposition for college presidents to, to navigate. All right. One last one here. I got to be a homer for a second with everyone saying they're going to, you know, the goal is to do a conference schedule. What happens with Notre Dame this fall? What, what do they do with everyone sort of canceling their games against them? Uh, my hunch is that they will try to brand together with the ACC. That's what I heard was one of the ACC's tentative plans, what they would kind of bring in uh, Notre Dame. Obviously Notre Dame has a, ton of marketability and a huge fan base and following. So that's good for TV ratings and all sorts of other things. Um, the challenge I think is going to be, and Jack Swarbrick has, has said, I think he told ESPN this a day ago that there is probably some expectation that maybe the season starts later. Maybe it's, it's less games. And I, I think depending on who you talk to and especially what they say on the record, look, Jack Swarbrick went on the record. A lot of guys have not, a lot of ADs, I should say, have not gone on the record and, and really spoken and said too much of the things that you hear kind of privately. Gene Smith, the Ohio State AD, who's probably the most powerful AD in the country, he did do that when the, uh, when the, ACC, when the Big Ten decided to say, hey, we're going conference only. But uh, I think Notre Dame will, will be 
tied to the ACC and whatever that means. And I, I Notre Dame's going to be fine. If anybody's going to be fine in FBS, it's going to be Notre Dame. Fair enough. Oh, I'm glad to hear. <laughs> yeah, that's good. To, that's golden, good to golden domers live on for a season in 2020. Bruce, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate all the work that you do in this freaks list. I know it's something that Mike and I really, really do respect and read every single year. I encourage everyone again, subscribe to the athletic to read this thing. It is worth it every single year. Bruce, thanks again for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks guys. I really appreciate it. And we're back. All right. Biggest takeaway on this thing is that Bruce Feldman works his freaking ass off. This guy is like literally texting, DMing people for three months. He's also a sideline reporter. He's got sources on sources. He knows everyone in, in, in freaking college football practically. And I think he does a lot of good work, works hard to put this list together for sure. Yeah. And it's like I said before the interview, it's so valuable. And the fact that he you know, it, this is his basically off-season project, and the depth that he goes into in some of these guys uh, is very, like I said, something that every college football fan, every draft fan is just a must-read. I was also, I mean, I was glad he brought up Marcus Hunt because, I mean, that guy did have just ridiculous numbers coming out but never really panned out. And he also talked about, I mean, Miles Garrett. I don't think there was, you said there was fans at the PFF offices? I do not recall. Sam Monson is okay, a diehard. That, that, Sam fair. Monson is a diehard Marcus Hunt guy. Big That dude was also, guy. the thing that, like, the reason that, I, I don't want to say the reason he didn't pan out, but he was 27 when he was drafted, or was he 28? Fair. Like, he was old when he was drafted. Brandon Whedon style. You don't like exactly like the development at that age. I don't care who you are is going to be difficult. So I think that played a lot into it, but he did have like, could he pay three cone time is ridiculous. The freaking, um, the hand size of that UCLA tight end. I mean, there are some dumb numbers there. (laughs) I will say if that's real, if he puts up, if he puts up even sub six, five at the combine, (laughs) That's going to be the craziest time I've ever seen. Like one of like, that's crazier than miles Garrett having what a 41 inch vertical to me. Like that is just, mm-hmm. that's impossible to do. Like you, I brought up Revis and Tyreek Hill because those times are insane that they ran as yeah. DBs and wide receivers respectively. Guys that aren't 271 pounds. And are, yeah. <laughs> and are like built to change directions. Dude. He is not. And so if that's actually his time, if he comes close to that, man, like, and that's, and that to me is, upside and D-line yeah. like that that is the number that helps Dude, rush it, the passer it's huge that, Band, that helps better than a four flexibility four, yeah. it is huge like the ankle flexion all that stuff comes in massively is why we made so much of what um curtis weaver's like seven second three cone like oh man that's a great time for him yes. like Dude, six right? threes if you're in the six threes at 271 it's legit rare. And we've talked about Quiddy Bay a handful of times on this podcast, but we're getting anywhere near those numbers. We knew he was a former running back um, in high school from Rhode Island, but like three-star recruit that can run a 6-3-3 count at 271. I mean, what the fuck? But we also kind of said it like back when we did the edge preview, we were like, you see the athleticism. It's there. Like the tools are there. He had no pass rushing moves. Like he's just getting by on like taking one step and like charging yeah. inside. Like there's not, there's no polish, which is like rare for those Michigan guys because they were so well coached. But if he gets some polish, shit, I'm excited to see what he's going to do this year. I'll be honest. I mean, he, and, and Michigan, again, the Michigan coaches do such a good job of adding that polish. And that's why when Rashawn Gary come out, came out with all of his, you know, athleticism and all those traits, why he wasn't polished was a huge concern. If Quiddy Pay can add some moves and add some polish to his game and have the traits that he does, I mean, 
sky is literally the limit. All right, well, the way we're going to break this down is going from the interview, we're going to talk about some PFF favorites on the list, guys that have graded well, produced well, will be ranked highly on PFF's 2021 NFL draft board. And then also talk, we went back to the tape. Went back to the tape on a lot of these guys, or guys that we hadn't watched before, turned on the tape that were on this list, had some inspiring tape and some uninspiring tape from some of these freaks. But let's first start with the favorites. And I think you have to start. You have to start with the freaking safety class. Yes. And Andre Sisco, the Syracuse safety, I think ranked number 25 on the list. And you also had Ardarius Washington and Trayvon Moerig, the two TCU uh, safeties make the list. And my guy, James Wiggins, was on this, <laughs> on this year's list. That. He was on this year's list, last year's list, and the 2018 list. This guy is now a three-peat on Bruce Feldman's Freaks list because he is exactly that, a freak. I went back, you, you watch the tape, has some trouble with verticals, turning his hips, sticking with speed, but the dude is a hoss, a rocked-up hoss that playing things in front of him, I, I'm still on board. I was going to say, I will say, no, no shuttle time for Wiggins, no three-cone in, in that, <laughs> and it's right up there. He's just didn't, strong. He's just didn't give us like any changes. He is a rock. Though. I mean, you see that on his tape, like some massive, massive hits. Uh, and the explosiveness coming downhill, you see that. The one I want to talk about, though, is Cisco. Because I, I remember I said he was fast as hell. You see him just easy range, and you're like, is he really that fast as Darnell Savage? 4-3-3 reportedly yeah. last year. That's laser timed. Laser timed. Laser timed, too. And a 4-1 shuttle at six foot two ten. This guy, that's my, that's my guy in the safety class. Actually, I don't know. Ardaris Washington, also my guy, who put up, he's ranked 23rd on this list. He had a 370-pound – cleans 370 pounds at five foot eight, 179, over twice his body weight. That is – I mean, that guy – there's a reason why when these guys, uh, you know, are that good at football at, at sizes like that, it's because they're just built differently uh, from mm-hmm. a strength uh, explosiveness perspective than the rest of pretty much human life as is. So, I mean, you talk about this safety class – and then also Kyle Hamilton, Hamilton's on the list, who's not eligible for the 2021 NFL draft. The Notre Dame safety is he, he also, might be the best one of all these. Also. I went back and watched his tape, and you see just just rare ability at the, at the safety position. I mean, it's these bigger safeties that can move with legit speed is is rare and, and really fun to watch. I hate to say it, but it is it is an absolute treat. All right, let's jump to the safety class. Here. Though it, it kind of reinforces my preconceived mm-hmm. notion that this is a this is the best safety class we've seen in a few years like this is a very very good safety class you could see as many as five I'd say go off in the first round which uh, with the devaluing of safety around the NFL I, I, I think would be is a necessary influx of talent in a position that you're putting three on the field now in most plays so uh, yeah. I do think it's a very very good safety class as many as five not including James Wiggins even though he is indeed a freak um, all right I want to jump to some defensive linemen uh, three of them I want to mention. Quiddy Pay, obviously the number one on the list. We talked about that with Bruce, the Michigan Edge defender, former three-star. That You go back and watch his tape, a lot of inspiring tape. I mean, this guy is beating offensive tackles with relative ease, very explosive for his size. And also Carlos, a.k.a. Boogie Basham, at number two on the list, a guy that we've been talking about for almost over a year now, a guy that has graded really well at Wake Forest, dominates with good length, has good explosiveness off the snap, despite being a very big edge defender, a bigger one. And others. And the third guy I want to mention, fourth on the list this year, Jason Owe, the Penn State defensive end that also has some flashy, splashy plays on tape that I think with more reps and more opportunities in 2020, we've said before, he'll be a better prospect than the other Penn State defensive lineman, Ichiro Gross Machos. Three guys in the top four, three defensive linemen in the top four that have legit tools, legit traits. Yeah, and you, we've talked about with Basham. You see that one 
every play. Every play, you're just like, that guy, 280 pounds, does not move like he's 280 pounds. That guy, you see it. So for him yes. to be ranked number two, Portal has a 36-inch vertical at 280. Bruce Pretty even nuts. said he was thinking about putting him one until the Quiddy Pay numbers came in. He kind of threw up in, or whatever it was. He just lost yeah. his mind. But Boogie Basham was in, in, uh, in contention for number one. Yeah, and then Owe, uh, like I'm excited. I think I, I think I said this on the edge pod. I'm like, right now there's only a few guys I'd put really firmly in round one. But there's a number of guys, uh, Owe, P- Quiddy Pay, are two that just like, if you show me a little more this upcoming season, I, I'm willing to throw you in round one because of how freakish their tools are. The, the, the other number for Oway that really was like, holy shit, that, that can't be possible. 4.9% body fat at 257 <laughs> I oh, would man. like, I would give anything to get to 4.9% body fat. That, that, that is not easy to do, let alone if you're 257 pounds. That dude is a rock of a man. That's ridiculous. Absolute hoss. Absolute hoss. Don't want to give away a ton of the numbers because I encourage everyone to subscribe to the athletics, subscribe for this content. But these numbers in this article are just absurd. 446 pro agility time, 380 pound bench press with a 365 clean for Jason Owe. And, and his top trade is the speed, even though has this explosiveness, has this strength. It's just absurd. All right. Two guys I want to mention that are everyone's favorites. They're PFF favorites, but everyone is high on these guys heading into 2020. It's, um, Micah Parsons, the Penn State off-ball linebacker, I think he came in at 13 on this list. And then Jamar Chase, the LSU receiver, who has a freaking insane blend of speed and strength for the wide receiver position that you're going to see him probably as wide receiver one for a lot of people entering 2020 as well. Yeah, I will say the numbers in the article for Chase weren't like super freaky. It was more just like, hey, this guy's awesome at everything. Like, he just, <laughs> We're going to throw him in the article. And, and well-deserved. I mean, I mean he you is. got a poll quote from Ed Ogeron, okay? Yeah. He's special. Okay? That's, <laughs> he that's all it takes. And he truly is. Like, what he did as a sophomore, physically, uh, being able to manhand his little corners, is, you, it does not happen as a sophomore, especially only at six foot 208 is what, is what they list his weight at here. That, that is not, you know, that's not prodigious size where you should be able to throw guys around, but he does. Uh, and then Parsons, we've talked about it. He just, he's got it all. That, that dude yeah. has it all at the linebacker position. All right, moving forward here. A guy that we've talked about a lot also makes the list, Virginia Tech's Caleb Farley. I think this is his second time on the list. You know, Caleb Farley yes. was the guy that you first, you know, you first kind of went back or went to the tape on when he was mentioned in the 2019 version of Bruce Feldman's frequency. He comes in at 11, six foot two, 207, clocked at 24.16 miles per hour on the GPS tracker against Notre Dame. The tape, the production, the tools. I, I remember when we had the cornerback overview podcast, I was mentioning names like Jeffrey Kuda. Like this is another guy that has the tools and the production to the point where you're talking about him as a potential top five, top 10 pick. And that's the thing with Farley is that get ready for him to be cornerback one. I, I just think at the end of the day, when you see his size, six foot two, 207, a, you know, on the very, very big end for the cornerback position. And then to be as fast as he is. And I kind of said this, but you just don't when guys got behind him he made up the ground like he he did not get had did not have guys striding away from him. he is just faster was faster than every single wide receiver he went up against that includes uh, going up against chase claypool who ran a 4-4 like he was just faster than him and apparently the gps tracker c- clocked him at over 24 miles an hour against notre dame in that game he just can absolutely fly and i think all those things sort of you know the size the speed the production you take it all into account I think this guy's going to probably be a top 10, 15 pick. Yep. I, I am with you. All right. Tutu Atwell. I put hashtag, this guy, hashtag fun to watch the Louisville slot receiver. He's listed on, you know, 
PFF site at six, five foot nine, 153. Bruce comes in, lets everyone know that Tutu Atwell actually five foot nine, 190. Bulked up maybe to closer to what Rondell Moore is. And we talked about a little bit before we started recording. Like, he's not a poor man's Rondell Moore, but that's the type of receiver you're getting. A guy in the slot that is a smaller dude, but when you get the ball in his hands. And one, the biggest thing I noticed with Tutu Atwell when you turn on tape, is his get off his first like six steps? He's beating everybody. Every every single the dude is explosive as hell. And if you give him a free release, which you get a lot of playing in the slot, it's going to be very hard to flip your hips and turn with him when he's running these slot verticals. Because like this guy has legit explosiveness, legit speed. He's just really small. And there's a play I think against Kyle Hamilton, the Notre Dame safety. We're like, oh my god, this guy is so much bigger than Tutu Atwell, but he has so much speed. He has, I mean, this stuff that it really pops off the tape. Yeah, he's more of the vein of K.J. Hamler, I think, as a slot receiver than Rondale types of players in that he really is more of a gadget. I, I think Rondale can run a lot more routes uh, than Tutu mm-hmm. at this point in time. But I think he's also a better version of K.J. Hamler. Like, yeah, I think he's faster uh, and just a more talented receiver and doesn't have the drop issues that you saw with Hamler. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of Tutu Atwell. Like, that guy. Dude, reading <laughs> reading some of these numbers, four two six forty and a three nine short shuttle for two, two Atwell dude, legitimate jitterbug. And, and you see that, I mean, they, they run a lot of gadget plays with him at Louisville. I mean, getting, just get the ball in his hands very quickly, you know, get the ball, you know, screens yes. and crossers and stuff like that. And, and good things tend to happen with two, two Atwell. All right. Moving down the list here of PFS faves jumping to, sorry, um, jumping to Ben Cleveland. You, you, you're, you're a big fan. Yes. The, the Georgia offensive guard. And I could not for the life of me. And I searched far and wide to find out, why he, he would play really well for Georgia, and then he would get benched. And, and I don't know if it was injuries or whatnot, because I know college don't always report injuries, but like he's only made 16 starts in his career. But every time he's played football, he's been very good, and he is an ox. Like That, that guy is the definition of a line of scrimmage mover. He, I just never saw him go backwards. And apparently, it's single-arm dumbbell press 160 pounds. I think it was six times, four times in the video. And they, he's a legitimate threat, they say, to break the combine record for the bench press. This guy uh, is a very just power player at guard. And I think if you're looking for that type of guard, he was one of my favorites if he would have you know, ever gotten playing time. So I think he could be a name to watch in terms of moving up boards this upcoming season. All right, last guy we'll mention before we get into the inspiring and uninspiring tape. This guy at Notre Dame, you know, watching his tape, they played him a lot. I mean, he played some slot corner this past year. He was kind of split out wide a couple of times, but it's Jeremiah Owusu-Koromoa, or J-O-K, as we're calling him. Freakiest attribute on the article is explosiveness, 220, 6'2", 39-inch vertical, 42 pull-ups in off-season's training. I mean, what the fuck? Dude, that's the number that I'm like, is that – do other football players do that? Is that like normal? Because that to me seems like the one where that's endurance too. Like that's, that's a yeah. lot to, to do At 220 pounds to do 42 pull-ups just seems like I, I, that like, if you tell me you did 25, I would be floored. Like that's a 25 would be an insane number. 42 is just, yeah. I still think JOK, I think he played a lot of different positions and was asked to do a lot of things for Notre Dame this past year to where sometimes I think you saw his head spinning a bit on plays. But, like, when he knew what he was supposed to doing, and I think you could say that about a handful of players on these lists. You go back and you're like, okay, why is it Marcelino Ball, Trill Williams, you'll put things together. It's like, But when they know what they're trying to do, you see the explosiveness, you see why they're these freaks as Bruce Feldman tags them. But I think the same thing with JOK. But I think JOK – compared to those other guys, has more opportunity to kind of develop and more opportunity to be one of those mm. guys 
for Notre Dame. All right, that's going to do it for the PFF phase. Let's dive into inspiring tape. This list, four guys that I didn't watch any of these guys until, you know, Bruce Bowman comes out with this list. Let's start with the Central Arkansas cornerback, who I'm seeing in the draft community, draft Twitter community, kind of perks some interest. I know you went back and liked him as well. Yes, Robert Rochelle from Central Arkansas. The guy can just move. I mean, he has very, very easy movement skills. Uh, in the article, uh, I want to say it says he has a uh, 3.98 short shuttle, 4.3840, broad jump. Like he has just that all-around athletic profile that you want from a man coverage corner. And he was at Central Arkansas in the games we have of him. He obviously they're not a Division One school, so we only have him playing against Division One competition. Uh, he's playing press man coverage, they, they, and they also didn't even like they didn't even have their other cornerback playing in press. They would just let him play in press because they knew that he was that guy. And what I liked about him was that. He was not just like we talk about the Georgia cornerbacks, just beating up the wide receiver across from them. He was mirroring. He was not relying on this physical beat you up, even though he has that sort of physicality in his game, he wasn't relying on it. And he would just stick in guys hip pockets. Now competition's going up against not necessarily NFL caliber wide receivers that are you worried about, you know, separating from you downfield, but you just saw that. And so uh, I think he's a easy sort of pencil him in right now to the senior bowl. And then that will be big for his eval. Another cornerback uh, mentioned on the list we went back and watched, Kyler Gordon of Washington. The first thing that, you know, you kind of see with him playing at Washington is that very, very agile. Change of direction is very, very good. And you saw I – mean, there's I think there's a play where he's playing kind of the flat and is able to kind of bail back into the kind of cover two-hole, make a pass break up. Like he can get in and out of his stance – not stance, but get in and out of his breaks very quickly. I was oh, yeah. really impressed with how quick – he can change directions, and that is the name of the game at corner. If you're going to be playing man coverage, that is literally the name of the game. You got to change directions quickly. And anytime you see that six foot one ninety five with you know short trundle under four seconds, three cone under you know six five range, that that's that's money for the cornerback position. Yeah, only going to be a junior this year, also. So damn smooth, just like such easy, you know, flipping his hips, breaking on balls in front of him, making lateral breaks, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I, I just didn't see a super instinctual player uh, I, I yet. Now, obviously, he's only, it was only a sophomore tape. Uh, was not, you know, you know I'm not going to kill a guy for that. But I just don't think, you know, when you saw, oh, gosh, I'm blanking on the guy's name from a couple of years ago from Washington in the corner who went Byron Murphy? Of, Byron Murphy. When Byron Murphy, like, just different level of seeing the game, Byron Murphy. Byron Murphy him. almost looks stiff compared to this guy. <laughs> I mean, honestly, but this guy's I, also, like, has that – uh, I, I'd be curious to see if he plays some slot also in this defense because obviously with Elijah Molden there, he won't this upcoming season, but like, or if someone covets him as that, because I think that's kind of short area underneath stuff was when he was at his best. And, and for oh, yeah. all those great change direction drills, he didn't seem that fast actually. Like guys were separating, guys were running away from down the field. So he might not be a, you know, four, three guy at corner. So. Uh, I, I did like his tape, though. There was still a lot to like. Uh, I'm just looking forward a little bit more this upcoming season to put him, you know, in, in the first few round conversation. All right, let's jump to another guy I mentioned that I, I really liked his tape. He went up against some cupcake competition early in this season and earned some high grades because of it. But Aleem McNeil, defensive tackle, played a ton of nose tackle for NC State this past year. Where's number 29? Got to respect that. 6'2", 315, 320, earned an 80.8 PFF pass rushing grade this past year dude wins quickly for a big man can win very quickly very explosive and I, I sent you a couple plays I was like holy shit like this guy can get out of the stance this guy can get after it the the problem is 
he's a little inconsistent. I wouldn't put endurance on his – like you watch some full games of him against some of the better competition, you see why he doesn't have a pass rush grade in the 90s. He's not winning yeah. every single rep. I think, I think he can wear down in games a little bit. But when it hits, it hits fast and hard. And I think Aline McNeil – getting the conditioning early, baby. And I, I think we can see really, really good numbers for him this year. Yeah, man. Anytime anyone tried to run like outside zone, wide runs against him where someone had to cut him off, it was over. Like he was, you're <laughs> not going to go track this guy down. He's just too quick for especially college offensive linemen. Uh, reminded me a little reminiscent of uh, Neville Gallimore's tape from last year, where it was just like, this guy's so much better an athlete than what he's going up against. But why is he not, really taking over games why is he kind of just yeah. like it's this one play where he just knifes you know it's one step and he's in the backfield and like one hit and he's gone so uh, there's a lot there's a lot more development that needs to come in his game and good news is he's only a junior like for him to have done that array as a sophomore very encouraging and again you can win on the interior with pure athleticism a lot of times like that you yeah. don't need and he's still a big dude though like he's not undersized yeah. 326 is yeah, yeah. what they said so that's pretty yeah and he plays nose tackle like he is their mm-hmm. nose tackle in that nc state team. and he wins from a zero a lot like he can win straight up head up on the center and beat him to his shoulder and stuff so i don't know I, i'm encouraged yeah. to watch more of his tape another guy that i felt was inspiring you had maybe different opinions but it, it was boye mafi the minnesota guy didn't play a ton i know he's an older player than redshirt junior is what you said. But on the limited snaps he did play, like you do see that freakness. You do see that explosiveness to win the edge. I, I, I was inspired by Boye Mafi's tape. What's your opinion? Yeah, and he was who Bruce sort of highlighted as his as one of the breakout candidates. And you could see it. There's yeah. no doubt about that. Like he's not a guy who has these explosive testing numbers and you're like, where is it? I think you see it most plays. It's just pretty much every time he won last year, it was just him trying to run right through offensive tackle. Yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of bull rush pressures on his tape. There's one, one really nice move. It was against like Rutgers though. Like, it goes against yeah, the tackle yeah, yeah. who really should not, <laughs> could not hold his job. Couldn't keep up with them. Dude, the so, Rutgers tackles going back and watching some of these big 10 defensive linemen, the Rutgers, man, it's just, it's like Louisville a few years ago or Florida state. Like you watch these offensive lines and there's just no shot. Oh yeah. Oh, it's bad. Like there's a reason why Rutgers is Rutgers, but yes. Uh, back to Mafi. So he only 204 snaps. though last year, only 143 the year before that. I, I just, to me, you're this freaky. Mm-hmm. Why can't you see the field? And I get that they had Carter Coughlin, but it's like, I would have, there's just seems something that's just concerning to me that he couldn't see the field for Minnesota more with yeah. those tools at his age. So we'll see. All right. We're going to jump now to the guys that made this list, but had some uninspiring tape, not, you know, they, maybe you did see some of this athleticism, but the production or the tape they put out was not great. Let's go ahead and start with Jalen Virgil, who was highly ranked on the list. The app state wide receiver. I think he came in what top five, number three, three? third, yeah. Number three on the list, uh, six foot one, two ten. You know, ran a ten two nine one hundred for the App State track team. I mean, this guy's got explosiveness, got speed. What didn't you like about the tape? There's no agility. Is the thing like he does not? Who does he remind me of? Chris Conley, maybe, where it's just like in a straight line, it looks great. But it's like, why is he not breaking more tackles? Why is he not like with this explosive, out of this world physical profile? You know, third on the freaks list really was not much of a tackle breaker did not get open as much as you would expect for a guy with, you know, four, three, you know, that sort of speed uh, to get open down the football field. I just, there's no salesmanship to his routes. Anything outside of straight line routes did not look good. 
just I was not a fan, unfortunately. Because I wanted yeah. to I wanted to believe. That's a ridiculous athletic profile. Yeah. Another receiver that I feel like it's, it makes sense to mention next after that that didn't have like super inspiring tape was Racing McMath. And even Bruce talked about I don't know what he's going to be in the NFL, probably going to be great as a special teamer at the very least. And I feel like that's where I was leaning as well. Cause like you, you see the, you know, you hear about the athleticism, you obviously read it in the article and then he has some opportunities where he gets shoulder to shoulder with some corners, but doesn't turn it on. Like doesn't separate at, at the, on those routes. And, and then even you know, ran a limited route. He played a lot with the backup quarterback at LSU did not see a ton of like starter snaps. So it'll be interesting to see when he gets more opportunities, if he can rise up, but I didn't come away thinking, Oh man, give this guy more targets and he's going to blow up. Yeah, so there were two things I wrote in the negatives when watching his tape. One was takes over three yards to stop on a 10-yard hitch, which is objectively off. Like, that's just very bad. You're just not going to get open in the NFL if it takes you three yards to stop and hitch. Like, yeah. that, that's, a no, that's a non-starter. And then also that he runs routes, slants, and breaking routes very high. And those are two just – I don't know if you correct – high route running like being running that's yeah. maybe that's just to me a lot of times that's who a guy is is mm-hmm. he's just not a flexible guy even though he's ridiculously explosive so uh i don't you know 17 passes last year for 285 yards now he backed up multiple nfl first rounders but uh to me he's not a guy who's just like on the precipice waiting to blow up sort of thing all right, next guy on the list has a very menacing picture in the Bruce Feldman Priestless article. It's Spencer Brown, Northern Iowa offensive tackle, a former tight end, 6'9", 325, can bench press 500 pounds, squat 600, but looks like Tarzan plays like Jane, according to Mike Renner. Oh, man, I, he, like, he would get bull rushed, this, this guy, Northern Iowa. He's getting bull rushed on his tape. That's just like a big red flag to me if you're that big of a – yeah. Uh, and he gave up 19 pressures last year. It was not by any means a dominant pass protector. And there was no, he was just stiff, like a stiff guy. Like the, all those athletic testing numbers are great, but they don't, the lateral agility was lacking. So to me, he kind of almost reminiscent of a guy like Jason Spriggs, where it's like, man, a workout warrior through and through, but the tape is just not that of, or just like the on-field play has nothing to do with sort of no sort of correlation to those workout numbers. I mean, the other guy, I mean, journey Brown, Penn state running back four two nine on the Bruce Feldman's list, but gets caught. You mentioned in the notes here, gets caught from behind against Pitt. You got caught from behind against Pitt four two nine. I like that of all the ones of all, like the testing numbers of the guys that went back and watched usually at some point in time, you could really see. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like I, I believe that he has that X, X and X, like he's squatted 600 pounds. Sure. Like you can kind of see that. I don't believe four two nine for a second after watching his tape. I just fast, yes. Four two nine is uh gosh, I mean Chris Johnson at four two four, obviously, so he like no one ever even came close to catching him behind, just looks different. Like four two nine, anyone looks different in the open field. And to me, Journey Brown, you never saw that like, oh, he looks different in the open mm-hmm. field sort of guy. All right, two defensive backs I want to bring up that I, I went back and watched. Trill Williams, the other Syracuse defensive back mentioned alongside Andre Sisco, and then also Marcelino Ball, the older – I think he's entering his fifth year at Indiana, the older Indiana defensive back. Both of these guys – I'll start with Trill Williams, I think is a very good athlete, and you see that in the straight line speed, but, like, takes so many risks. This guy just, like, I mean, takes so many risks. Like, there's, like – very similar to Andre. Not good ones. Yeah, not good ones. Yeah, he's making. He's not making plays either. 
Yeah, there's there's the play against – so you have a play against Wake Forest, like in the red zone, strips the player, and he returns it to the house, in the like on the goal line against Wake Forest, strips it, fumble, six, all the way back. And there's another one where he like suplexes the guy from Holy Cross. It's like, okay, what do, what are we doing here? Like there's a bunch of like bad decision-making on his tape where like you're giving up big plays, you're committing penalties, but like you are this freakish athlete. Like you see it. Like you, yeah. you can do things other people can't do. And sometimes I feel like that confidence, and I would put ball in a similar spot, like that, that confidence you gain from being just different, being built different than other people leads you to make maybe adverse decisions. I think both of those guys had tape where like you see more negatives than positives. And that's also reflected in their PFF grading as well. Yeah, so ball is just – stiff like I, I just don't see it he kind of looks like a hulk really. he's got like a really big upper body like he's like yeah. built up top like um jonah jackson of ohio state almost <laughs> little mini fridge up top yeah i just like don't quite see it with ball ever like that turning on williams like you can see some skills there but to me there's one massive red flag and it doesn't have too much to do with this tape like you, you touched on the negatives really well there in terms of just like a lot of the same like freelancing, just like awareness I wrote is a big negative for him. It doesn't seem like he knows what's going on on a lot of the plays, but yeah. also the fact that he's six two two fifteen, runs a four three four forty. Apparently this just freak of a dude and they have him playing slot cornerback in that defense. Why is he like, that is a profile of either a deep, you know, rangy safety or a press man cornerback outside on corner. the outside with that speed. I almost think time. he could play better at outside corner though. Like, that's what I'm like. That's him. what I'm saying. His, and a, a word I put in there a ton is like processing, processing. Like you're not seeing him process plays when you're playing in the box and when you're playing slot corner, a lot of the times you have to react quickly to yeah. outside screens and these things playing outside corner. You're limited or more limited in terms of like range of outcomes. I, I think he's maybe even played out of position there. A little so, bit. yeah. So he, he did play there as a freshman played a couple games there late in the season I would like to – I don't know what they have plans with him this offseason, but I, I think he, that's – slot's not his role. That is not – he's not a heady guy. Uh, he's not a heady football player by any means. I, I think outside cornerback is ultimately where he should end up, and All I'd right. like to see him play that next year. Two more uh, players will bring up, both of them receivers, and actually both of them in the Pac-12. I, I went back and watched both these guys. Simi Fihoko is – dude, I, I read the numbers, and I like almost like sprinted to the tape. But you – the um, guy is six foot four, two twenty and clocked a um, 4 3 9 40-yard dash. Like, like very, very quick 40-yard dash. And But the guy's, like, very limited as a route runner. Contested catch situations are a joke. He gets better later in the season. I feel like uninspiring tape was kind of overly negative because I do think he gets better towards the end of the year. And, like, you see him, like, find his ball skills almost. They're still not great, but still, like, very limited as a route runner. But his best tape. Elijah Molden plays him in the slot against Washington. He runs slot verticals, just run a straight line with a free release, and he beats them both times, two times over the top against Elijah Molden. But, like, that's what you're getting with him. Run him in a straight line, and even against press, as big as he is, 6'4", 220, getting whooped in press against some smaller cornerbacks, obviously smaller cornerbacks. So I think he still needs to learn to play the position, but I agree that he's big and fast. I agree. So going through these wide receivers in this and also, you know, uh, Virgil will throw on that list, uh, McMath as well. How many guys at the NFL level who just like didn't have good college production whatsoever, didn't have route running chops, but were big and fast, ended up turning like turning into, and, and we're not you know, necessarily productive at the college level, ended up turning into like good at the NFL level. All of a sudden it turns on and then you turn to be like, I, I just am so wary of these guys. And I, I don't think Terry McLaurin fits that bill by any means because he was a very good route runner, even at Ohio State, even though he was 
you know, exceptionally fast. And I don't think Tyree Hill fits that because the dude was running back his career at Oklahoma State uh, and mm-hmm. just like changed positions altogether, which is a completely different thing than having played wide receiver your whole life and just not being good at it at this point. So I just don't think that that's a position where you can just say, hey, he's an athletic freak. Maybe he'll figure it out. I just I don't think if it's way more point, of a skill position than people yeah. get credit for. Like everyone wants these fast, agile guys, but like you have to be good. Like you have to be a good route runner. You have to be good against press, good in contested catch situations, catch the ball consistently, run a diverse route tree. There's only like a couple in routes on Simi Fihoko's tape. And you're just like, oh man, there's one against Colorado. It's an ugly ass dig, but he catches it and, and he beats everyone in a sprint. Like, oh, I'm going to run a straight line now and no one's faster than me. And that's what I feel like. That's his tape in a nutshell. That one play is like, oh man, it was an ugly ass route that he came open against off coverage. And next thing you know, he's sprinting behind everybody else. And that, um, that's the thing that's like that won't happen in the NFL. No, that will not be happen. the case. So you're yeah. not getting rewarded on a ton of ugly ass digs in the NFL. <laughs> well, that, that's going to do it for the freaks list episode of two foreign drafts. Big shout out to Bruce Feldman and the athletic for putting that list out for now. What? 15 years, man. It's in, incredible what he's been doing for so long, but that's going to do it until next time, guys. This is Austin Gale, Mike Renner, two for one drafts. Yeah.